I know the name, but I don't really know. British guy, very much into nature, was hired by the BBC in the 1950s to travel around the world and check out on the declining apes and that kind of stuff. Right. And even now, like he's in his 90s and he still does uh, narration for a whole lot of the nature shows. Anyway, he was uh, one of the main men in the BBC in 1966, 67, 68, was instrumental in getting Monty Python accepted by the BBC. Hmm. They almost fired him over it because they kept saying all these higher-ups kept saying like it, it's so weird like why do they go around just slapping people and things like that like what's that all about? Anyway he uh, he thought they were fabulous and uh, yeah he was uh, he was one of their main men there and very big in getting them on there. Nice it's always nice the man of culture you know he's not just about uh, fancy science and stuff yeah. <laughs> he's also and he said how, you know, in those days, like, the, the BBC didn't have a whole lot of money, so the nature shows that he was doing, a whole lot of those, he and his crew had to pay, like, when they went to places like the Congo and that, to check out on these apes, they paid their own way, because there was just no money in the BBC for it. And uh, it, it was still pretty bad, he said, when the, when the Python series started. And so the early shows are, you know, they don't have a whole lot of scene changes in that, because money was tight and they didn't know how well this was going to go over. It kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't really know the details, but I think I heard something similar about Jacques Cousteau, that uh, it was always this shoestring thing and then to, and then all of a sudden it was like this underwater sea boom, one of his movies was like became really successful and all of a sudden he was the new cool he was thing. The man, yeah. But before then it was yeah, tough to, tough yeah. to do these things. They had to really struggle. And if they wanted to do it, yeah, they had to dip in their own pockets to do it. Yeah, and I guess it's one of those things that uh, you never know. In hindsight, we know what was famous and what wasn't. But you never know at the time, which kind of ties in to what we're doing this week. <laughs> so, so I thought we were done our Monty Python uh, odyssey last week. And, uh, and yeah, I'm kind of, I think this would have been a good time to just move on. But I realized we got to do one more week. We got to do one more. Well, okay, we need something to upswing it from that Spike Milligan. Yeah, this will then this will probably be a pretty short <laughs> podcast, I assume, because I doubt there'll be a ton to say about this. But this, I suddenly remembered how we got on this path in the first place. It was that somebody in a YouTube comment recommended to me the Marty Feldman comedy machine. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then I was taking a look at it, and it's from 1971. And I didn't want to start there because it's like, if I want to learn what's going on with Marty Feldman, I felt like I had to go back. So I went back to, you know, he started as a, a comedy writer and the first time he appeared on a sketch show as an actor was at last the 1948 show where I was surprised to see Graham Chapman and John Cleese. And then that's why we got off on this whole tangent about the origins of Monty Python, but it was actually meant to be the origins of Marty Feldman. <laughs> so now to finish this all off, now that we have finally gone through all of the members of Monty Python and all the shows they did before Monty Python, and then we finally watched Monty Python, and then we watched the show that inspired Monty Python, and I thought we were done, and then I'm like, wait a second though, the whole point of this from the beginning was the Marty Feldman comedy machine, so we gotta watch that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to bookend this or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, like, as I was saying with, like, Monty Python, how you could research Monty Python till the end of time. Even just the Wikipedia page you could read all day, and you could just read books and just all kinds of stuff. 
Whereas this show is the opposite. Like I was saying, you just don't know what's going to catch on and what doesn't. There's only a tiny little article about this, almost no information. Even if I wanted to know more about the Marty Feldman comedy machine, it would be hard to find out. But what I do know, it was a 1971 comedy variety sketch series. It aired in the U.S. on ABC, which is a little unusual. They co-financed it. It has opening and closing animations by Terry Gilliam, so there's still some Monty Python connection in there. And Marty Feldman himself, comedy writer, became known as a performer on It Last the 1948 show. This came out in 1971, only ran this one season, and just judging by the lack of information, I assume was not extremely successful. Then, a few years later, in 1974, he appeared in Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein, and that started that whole branch of his career. And then he passed away of a heart attack in 1982. So this is just right in the middle. He's not a young, new guy anymore, but he's not as famous as he would later be. This is just his middle show. So while the Python guys were off doing Money Python, Marty Feldman was doing this. So uh, I guess we'll just watch it and yeah, see, see what we think about it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, at the very least, regardless of how this goes, uh, this is what got us. <laughs> you know, maybe that's the thing too. Is like even now. At the time, obviously, Monty Python was more famous than this show. No one, no one's ever fucking heard of this show. I don't even know why the YouTube commenter recommended it to me, just because we're watching obscure shows, I guess. And even now, you know, the main thing I can say about it is like, hey, it sent us on this whole odyssey of researching Monty Python. Thanks a lot, Marty Feldman. You know, he's probably looking down on us from, from the beyond, and it's just like, God damn it, like, still no one cares about my show. They only care about Monty Python. But yeah, we'll see. Who knows? Could be a... Uh, Diamond in the Rough. So this is the episode from uh, 1971, October 1st. But yeah, it's on YouTube. Comedy Machine 1971 10 1. <laughs> so that's the episode we're watching. Oh, yeah, this is uh, also surprisingly long. It's not a half hour show, it's 50 minutes. Really? Yeah, so oh, yeah. that's okay. unusual. It's, uh, it's kind of surprising that they were so reticent about um, showing Monty Python in the States when that's sort of similar, right? I mean, it's got the Terry Gilliam cartoons and it's certainly weird, you know? I don't know, it's like funny that that would be on American TV, but Monty Python was too far because it's, it's not as good, but it's not like miles different. It would have been if they had taken each of those skits and have them. Because they just kind of kept repeating, repeating, repeating. Yeah, which actually, that's kind of interesting. Because I, I had forgotten to check, so while we were watching that, I jumped on the YouTube video of that just to look at the comments. And mostly, it definitely did play in America. Lots of American comments of like, oh, I remember watching this show when I was a kid, this weird show. But apparently, the uh, American version was an edited-down half-hour version. So I don't know if that means half as many sketches or if they cut the sketches in half, because they could have. <laughs> yeah, they could have. And, and they would have been better if they had. Yeah. So that's good to know in a way. It's like the American version probably was better, because, yeah, like you'd always like get the gag, and it's kind of funny. And, yeah, then it would just go. Go, and go. on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, it, it, it is very similar to Monty Python. Yeah, like it definitely started out, I think, when we started watching it. It was like, yeah, this is pretty good. But, yeah, it just kind of never takes off it never quite leaves the ground and it's funny to see 
how that episode of the 1948 show we watched had that sketch where they kept giving the priceless heirlooms to Marty Feldman and he smashed them. And then there was like three separate sketches here that were purely about him smashing things. Yeah. <laughs> like that's definitely, but he they, loves but, it. But when I say they could have been halved, like the one about the fly. Once you kind of got the image of the symbols, him going crazy with the symbols and wrecking the orchestra, they could have done that in half the time and yeah. then stopped it. And it would have been a lot better, too, because that subjectivity of comedy or whatever, it wouldn't give you so much time to dwell on it because this it's definitely less wacky than the Spike Milligan stuff we watched last week, but it's still not particularly grounded. It's still weird stuff that doesn't really make sense, but if you got out of there in two minutes, you wouldn't think about it. But when you're there for five minutes, you're like... What even is the premise here? Why are we watching this? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> and one thing I was very surprised about is um, Orson Welles. I really don't know much about his career. All I knew in general was when he was young, he did the famous War of the Worlds uh, radio thing. Then obviously Citizen Kane, which is just weirdly overpraised because I've seen it and it's not that great. It's fine. Whatever. F- the film, like, angles and shit are, are good. But as a story wildly overrated but you know that was his big famous thing that he could never live up to ever again and then all i knew was that at the end of his life in the like 80s he was doing like uh commercials for frozen peas and you could like find funny outtakes where he's just drunk and fed up with these fucking commercials that he's doing so this is obviously not that late into his career but but i guess this is just what he was doing at the time he was just doing sketch shows and stuff but his parts in it were actually the better part of the show because they were very short that last one where he narrated the uh the royals yeah which is a good example that was long but the actual other show parts that he was in were very quick and very and that is a good example of like it's a funny premise the idea that aristocrats are uh escaping or you know we're losing our aristocrats they're dwindling so it's like one of those documentaries about pandas and how finicky they are except now it's what do we have to do to make the aristocracy have heirs and it's like sort of a funny premise but it almost would be better if they just said huh wouldn't that be funny and then not actually show us all that but stuff. But even again, if they had tightened that down <laughs> yeah. to half the time, they could have really tightened it up and made it a much more effective little skit. Um, very bizarre, too, just to see actual Orson Welles, because I'm so used to Orson Welles' parodies. I've seen a, a bunch of Orson Welles, you know, like making fun of, I'm Orson Welles. <laughs> but that's really him there. That's the real guy. <laughs> That was just very unexpected. I had no idea Orson Welles was on this show. Well, particularly, too, a lot of those uh, YouTube comments I saw were people that at the time were like eight or nine years old, and they just had like, they're like, man, I haven't seen this show in 40 years, like 50 years, I don't know, a long, long-ass time. And they just vaguely remembered it from when they were a kid, and that would be the best way to see this show. It's 1971, you're nine years old, this comes on TV, it's really weird, and you just remember the the weird-looking Marty Feldman destroying everything. (laughs) That probably is a pretty good time. Yeah, he destroyed an orchestra and a car. (laughs) And not just a car, a (laughs) Rolls-Royce. But I can see why he uh, is not remembered for this. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, this is no Mel Brooks production either. Right. And that's really his claim to fame is through the Mel Brooks movies that 
Yeah, so I guess if we were to follow the Marty Feldman thread, which uh, it's not on my docket, but if we ever do, maybe down the road somewhere, yeah, we'd have to to jump from TV to movies because that's obviously, yeah, where things really took off more. So yeah, again, I guess just uh, interesting to see, interesting little piece, but I guess the same thing I said at the start, I'll just say again, like the best thing about that show is that it caused me to research Marty Feldman and find out that he started with the Pythons and that led us to Monty Python. (laughs) So I apologize up there, Marty, but it's just true that Monty Python casts a long shadow. (laughs) So, So that's what really stands out. It's funny too, just to see in the credits, it's almost like uh, the shadow of death and they're like, and starring Spike Milligan, <laughs> just because we had such a bad time with his show last week. It's like, oh no, but yeah, he was only in it a little, so it was fine. Now it's interesting though, how many of those shows had no speech in them. Oh yeah, that's right. Just because of this. The we... car, the fly. Uh, I mean, Orson Welles narrated like three yeah, different but, things. Yeah, but even that, he did the narration in it, but the but the people themselves in the skit did not talk. Yeah, which we presume is that American, uh, yeah, trying to make it more palatable to an American audience is like let's let's cut back on the people talking. <laughs> yeah, because I, I doubt that's coincidence. That seemed pretty pretty deliberate, pretty distinct. But yeah, anyway, I guess uh, next week. Let's uh, completely jump ship now. (laughs) That's more than enough sketch comedy for a long time. Yeah, I agree. 